Well, this morning I want us to continue with our study of Walk This Way. I want us to look at biblical expectations of the believer's walk, especially, especially in these evil, evil times. Ephesians 13, Ephesians 13, Ephesians 5, oh, that was a test. <laughs> Ephesians 5, verse 13 says, By all things that are reproved or made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore, he says, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Folks, we are absolutely living in evil, evil times. Someone said here just a week or so ago when I was talking with them, and as you go through the prayer list that, that Dennis Mitkins puts together for us every week, you can kind of get a idea of what they're talking about. A uh, person said, our church is under attack. Our church is under attack. When you think of all the different people that we're praying for and all the difficulties and all the issues. And I thought about that and, you know, I think it would be more correct to say the church is under attack. It's not just our church. Satan is alive and unfortunately well. Satan is not in a dominant, uh, in a dormant state at all. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Let me remind you. Ephesians chapter 6. Starting with verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand. See, it's what God's Word tells us, that we are in an evil time. It should not come as any surprise that we do battle against the God of this world, against powers in high places. So we need to talk about, we need to learn how do we walk in His way? Walk this way. Or as Francis Schaeffer put it, wrote in his book, how should we then live? That should be a major consideration, a major concern for every Christian to, conf to contend for the faith. Every believer determined, dedicated, understanding what God's Word says, understanding what we're up against 
and what we need to do in order to stand against the wiles of the devil. How should we then live? See, and it's, it's not how do we appease God. See, here's the good news. Here's the good news. It's not how do we appease God. How do we make God like us more? It's not how do we please God because the good news is that's already taken place in Christ Jesus. That's already happened. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has already done that on our behalf. We stand perfect in Him. For that believer who's been made a new creation, listen to me. Our major concern should not be about our salvation. That is done. That has been completed. We stand complete in Christ. In these present evil days and times, we need to be concerned about the salvation of our next-door neighbor, of our family members. Folks, I am more convinced than ever that we are living in the last days of this present dispensation. There are things that are happening across this planet at breakneck speed that are all pointing to the Lord's return for His church. These things are pointing to His second coming, and so if His return for the church takes place before the second coming, how much closer then are we to the rapture of the church? The Lord Jesus has already purchased our redemption. So the question is not, how do we appease God? It's recognizing that that's already been done. The question is, why? Why do you desire to please the Lord? I guess really a bigger question is, do you desire to please God? I hope and pray that you do. But why? And it's easy to answer that when you know and you consider all that the Lord Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. Just the joy to live for the one who has saved us and has given us eternal life is reason enough why we want to walk in his way, why we want to contend for the faith, why we want to serve him, why we want to be his ambassador. Romans 12, 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is what? Your reasonable service. Hey, when you stop and take into consideration all he's done for every single one of you sitting out there, when you stop and take into consideration what he's done on our behalf, it just stands to reason. It is your reasonable service to desire to serve him. Folks, he has rescued us from the fires of hell. He has rescued us from the fires of hell. You know, I've thought sometime, if God would just give us 
a glimpse into the horrors of hell. Just momentarily feel a burst of the flame. Boy, wouldn't that motivate us to want to serve. But you know what? I'm just going to take his word for what it's like. I'm just going to believe what he says about it and be so thankful that I'm not going to hell. That I've been made a new creation in Christ Jesus. And when you stop and think what he's rescued us from, what he saved us from, not only is hell not in your future if you know Christ is your Savior, you're not even going to go through the tribulation, which is going to be like hell on earth. You've not been appointed to wrath of any kind. Because you're so good, because you're so cute, because you're so well-mannered, because you attend this church? No. Because of His amazing grace and because of what He accomplished on the cross as He shed His precious blood. What a Savior that we have. We serve Him. We walk this way. We live for Him. Not out of necessity, but out of love and appreciation for the new life that we have in Christ. And as we mentioned last week, and I want to reiterate, we are heirs of God. We are joint heirs of Christ. Now, I understand that may not mean a whole lot to you right now. It should, but it may not. But boy, when you get to heaven, it's going to. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we get to heaven, being joint heirs, being blessed with all spiritual blessings is going to be beyond words, beyond description. To me, that's, he saved me from hell. He's made me a joint heir of Christ. He has blessed me with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies. Why wouldn't I want to say, here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am, Lord, use me. Here I am, Lord, with the understanding that he has called each and every one of us sitting here to be ambassadors for Christ to be his ambassador. No one should ever say, there you go, preacher, go for it. There you go, preacher, that's your job. It's the job of every person sitting here this morning. So as we start this series on Walk This Way, I want us to go to the book of Ephesians, and I want to see how that declares to the believer how we should then live. What God expects from a believer's life, from that person who has been transformed, who has been regenerated, who has been made alive through Christ Jesus. And I want to start with Ephesians 4. 
verse 14. You could pretty much start anywhere in the book of Ephesians because you can summarize the book of Ephesians with three little words. Sit, walk, and stand. Sit, walk, and stand. We are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Wow, what a position we all have. You don't have to wait to you get to heaven in order to know that that's where you are because you're in Christ. He's seated there. You're seated there. And that's what the book of Ephesians is all about, is making sure you understand what your eternal position is, even in this world that has just gone bonkers. And it has. You're citizens of heaven. You're seated there. You're to walk. God's Word is very plain in the book of Ephesians. We're to walk as children of light. We're to walk circumspectly. We're to walk observing, understanding what's going on. It's important for the believers to do that. Sit, walk, and stand. We are to stand with the whole armor of God on. You know why? You know why? Because you need it. And here in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the whole armor of God and the importance of strapping on the whole armor of God because if you march into battle without the whole armor of God, you're going to be damaged. You're going to suffer defeat. You're not going to lose your salvation. You have your salvation. You're sealed into the day of redemption. But I'm telling you, as things heat up, as things get worse, as the world just hates God more and more and more every day, and boy, are they demonstrating it now. You need to tighten that belt of truth. You need to make sure that helmet of salvation is properly secured during these times. So just about any spot we could have started. But Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, that we henceforth, and it says up there Ephesians, but I, I want you to write St. Louis Bible Fellowship, okay, because this is being written to you to this local assembly and every other local assembly. That you, St. Louis Bible Fellowship, henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive. So first of all, God's word is very clear. There are those out there who desire to deceive you to the truth of God's word and God's plan and purpose. You are obligated as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ to know God's Word. You are obligated so that you don't get carried away with every whim, every wind of doctrine and the slide of men. Doctrine is important. Doctrine is important. That's why here at St. Louis Bible Fellowship, we stress that to such a degree. You need to know what God's Word says. 
You need to know what God's Word says. So that when you hear something that is false, something that is not true, something that goes against clearly what God's Word says, the bells and whistles and the lights and the red flags, and it all starts blowing and going so that you're not led astray. Man, there, and, and there are so many examples. I could stand here and talk to you about lordship salvation, where you, it's work salvation, uh, all the, the, the charismatic gifts, eternal security. We believe in eternal security, but there are a lot that don't. So when they start talking to you about losing your security, the bells and whistles should go off. You should know which scripture to go to. You should know the Word of God so that you can defend not just the faith, but the doctrine that you know is taught here in the scripture. Doctrine is important. Why is it important? Because truth is important. Truth is important. Pausing to think of how far I should go here. There's so many different doctrinal issues out there that have led people astray. Water baptism, where the emphasis is on baptism, baptism for salvation, baptism for any other reason, just because. It makes people feel more saved. Unfortunately, that is so horrid when you think about mankind adding something in this day of grace to the complete and total salvation we have in Christ. You know, I, I've been following a thing that's been going on down in Alabama uh, at Auburn University. Love Auburn University. And day after day, I think they had... They're at the university, 600-plus baptisms. That was what was emphasized. I did not read a single time that it said that people came to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not a single time, and, and maybe it might have been there. It's just me reading. I never found it. Just hoping to hear somebody talk about, I came to the Lord Jesus. I realized I was a sinner. I realized that he died for my sins. I realized he was buried and he rose again. And I know him as my Savior. And he has changed my life. He's made me a new creation. It was, I was baptized. Oh, this was a great baptismal service. Oh, you should have seen how many people were baptized. You, and it just about pull, causes me to pull what little bit of hair I have left out when I read that. The emphasis was on baptism. I can't tell you how often I've asked people, well, do you know the Lord is your Savior? Oh, yeah, I was baptized when I was. That's not what I'm asking. That happens over and over and over again. I think this is what one of the things that the Apostle Paul was talking about. So you don't get carried away with every wind of doctrine that people lie in wait to deceive. Who would want you to believe that baptism was going to save you and not the blood, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ? 
Can anybody think of somebody who would want you to think that that saves rather than the Lord Jesus? I can. He's the God. He's the God of this world. He hates you. Now you know why I hesitated. But God's word tells us not to be deceived. Doctrine is important. Knowing that you are eternally secure is important. So many, so many others. You're, I had somebody tell me <coughs> not too long ago that our doctrinal statement makes sense. I went, yeah, hallelujah, I think it does. Your doctrinal statement makes sense. And once you hear it, once you study it, but it's not easy because there are so many dots to connect. So many dots to connect. So many different scriptures. So it's not an easy doctrine to embrace. It's not an easy position to come to. And see, I disagree. I think it's an extremely easy position to come to when you don't have to unlearn so much. What makes this church's doctrinal statement difficult is because of all the stuff you have to unlearn in order to get there. Stuff like the church is the bride. Give me a break. When the Bible tells us clearly that the bride of Christ, that the wife of God is Israel, the bride of Christ is the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, that the church is spiritual Israel, nothing could be further from the truth. Yet there are churches out there that are promoting all of those doctrines when the Bible clearly says differently. And we're trying to make so much more of this lie than what they should. We henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive. Let me suggest something to you. Don't ever, ever, ever take what I tell you at face value. Don't ever say my preacher said God's Word says should be your foundation. That should be your position. I don't want you to believe what I say. <coughs> Get all choked up just thinking about it. <coughs> I want you to study on your own. I want you to study for yourself. I don't want the bells and whistles to go off because, oh, I heard that preacher talk about this. I want it to be because I read in the Word of God this truth, and this is what I believe. <coughs> Verse 15. But speaking the truth in love, speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ. See, the reason we want to speak the truth in love 
And we want to share these truths, these doctrinal statements. But speaking the truth in love, not just speaking the truth, but understanding that we do it in love. Thank you, doctor. No, that's good. Mm, that tastes good. And it doesn't just say speak the truth, but speak the truth in love, understanding that we have an obligation as believers in Christ Jesus to make sure people understand in order that they might grow in Christ, that they might mature in him, not stay babies, not stay babies. So we have an obligation to study God's word. We have an obligation to speak truth, do it in love. I believe, I believe, I'm convinced that the reason that the world is so upside down today is because the church has ceased to speak the truth in love or in any other way. My other hero. Thank you. So, Diana, if I spit this out and it hits you in the head, I apologize ahead of time. But speaking the truth in love may grow up unto him in all things which is the head, even Christ. He's the head, we're the body. Our desire should be to study in order to grow. But the reason the world is so upside down today is because the church has stopped telling the truth. Seems as if the church has just caved. It's either the church has caved or entered into the perversion itself. I think the reason the church is caved is because they say it wants to be relevant. So it compromises, compromises, compromises in order for it to be relevant. The church has lost its relevancy. You know why? Because it quit telling the truth. Have you ever thought about this? In order to be relevant... You have to be a contrast with something. The, the church wants to be relevant to the world, so they climb on the world's bandwagon, and then all of a sudden, it's no longer relevant. Because what's the difference? There's not a contrast any longer. The church just blends in with the world. It's either caved or it's entered into the perversion it's not standing against evil. 
or it's willingly participating in the evil that we see. Thank you, Tim. You read my mind. This is talking about government or societal factor. I don't know who came up with this, but I'd like to shake their hand. First, we overlook evil. Then we permit evil. Then we legalize evil. Then we promote evil. Then we celebrate evil. Then we persecute those who still call it evil. Is that not an exact rendering of what's wrong in the world today? Just that? But let me tell you where the church fits in. The very first one. First, we overlook evil. That's, the church should have stood up and the church should have said, no, you're not going to say that. You're not going to do that. You're not going to make that legal. You're not going to promote that. It doesn't surprise me that the society has gone that direction, overlooking, permitting, legalizing, promoting, celebrating, and then persecuting those who still call it evil. Church didn't stand. Church is still not standing the way that it should. But speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things. Boy, when the church starts caring more about being relevant than being representatives of heaven, you have serious issues. And folks, we have serious issues today. But we need to grow up in Christ. See, he is the head. That's what the next verse talks about. From whom the whole body, that's you, You're the body from whom the whole body fitly joined or perfectly joined together and placed together, compacted by that which every joint supplies according to the effectual working in the measure of every man. That's God working in the body of Christ. He is the head. You're the body. It's God's will that you function like his body, representing him, walking this way. That's pleasing to him. Edifying of itself in love. Look at 1 Corinthians 12. Start with verse 12. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For as the body is one, that's you, church, hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. He is the head. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been made to drink unto one Spirit. So the one baptism that Paul talks about in book of Ephesians, this is it. That's the spirit baptism that takes place the moment you believe where you're placed into the body of Christ. We're all baptized into that one body. Verse 14, for the body is not one member but many. 
If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I'm not of the body, it is therefore not of the body? Yeah, the answer to that is, of course, of course not. Of course the, the foot's still part of the body. Every aspect is of the body is important. Verse 18, but now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it has pleased him. You ever thought about that? That where you are in the body of Christ, God put you there where he wanted you, where you were going to be the most effective? You ever thought about that? What a loving God that he cares so much for you. We're all one body. Verse 25, there should be no schisms in the body and that the members should have the same care one for another. Verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and members in particular. That's what he's talking about to the church in Ephesus. Christ is the head, you are the body, and in order to be an effective part of that body where Christ has put you, you need to know what his word says. You need to study to show yourself approved unto God. Verse 17. And this I say, back to Ephesians 4. This I say therefore, and testify in the Lord that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Paul is making sure this church at Ephesus understands that God holds them accountable how they live their lives in this wicked, wicked city of Ephesus. There was a temple in Ephesus. It was the temple of Diana. And there was so much evil that transpired that there, so much promiscuity, uh, the whole temple worship centered around temple prostitutes. It was so unhealthy and unfortunately really popular. So Paul is telling them through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that you walk not as the other Gentiles walk because that's what they were involved in. If they decided to go to church, it was going to that temple for it was horrid things they witnessed, things contrary to the Spirit of God. And he is telling him, here's how not to walk. Walk not as the other Gentiles walk, those that they could see there on the street, there in Ephesus, in the vanity of their mind. Now, normally the word vanity there has to do with folly, has to do with uh, uh, emptiness in vain. But here I think it has to do with religious error because the temple of Diana was so prominent there in Ephesus. 
So don't walk like them. Don't walk like those other Gentiles. They are blind. They, and he's getting ready to tell them that they are pretty much given over to a reprobate mind. They have their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God. That's what he's going to, he's already told them in Ephesians chapter 2, that the Gentiles were lost without hope, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel without God. When you stop and think of what they were practicing, what they were doing, their situation was extremely dire. And God was saying, do not walk that way. And he's going to tell them how they are to walk and what is, what is necessary as they walk as children of God. By the way, God's word is very clear that God is a jealous God. And I've heard people say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Jealousy is a sin. Not necessarily. No, it's not. Not when God describes himself as being a jealous God. Because his jealousy, it comes from him knowing that there are no other gods. And all that they're worshiping, all that they're wasting their time doing, he knows that it's empty, it's vain, it's fruitless. They can't hear, they can't see. He knows all of that. So he's jealous. He's the true and living God. He's the one God. And he loves them. Look what extent he went to in order to purchase their salvation. He knows there are no other gods. And his jealousy absolutely has the best interest of the object love in mind. So that's okay to be jealous when you have the best interest of the object love in mind. That's what God is. He understands when he witnesses what all was going on as man in his fallen state, and he goes on to describe it here. Through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Wow. Blindness of their heart. Look at Romans 1. Start with verse 24. Because I think what Paul is describing in Ephesians, he's already talked, well, he, he, he's already talked to the Romans, the church in Rome, about pretty much the same thing. Because this was a condition of all of those people who were lost. And I think here in Romans 1, it is describing those believers at the Tower of Babel when God gave man over to a reprobate mind. Verse 24, Romans 1, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worship and serve the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Hey, folks, when you see on the news all of this, 
nonsense about global warming and save the planet and all the stuff that's trying to detract you from the truth, what's really going on, it's pretty much the same religious system, same religious system that's taking place. For this cause, for this cause God gave them up to vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was due, which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not fitting. Basically, that's the same thing that's happened here in Ephesians. Look, Ephesians chapter 4, 18. Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Oh, how sad verse 19 is. Who being past feeling, they're insensitive. They're no longer soft, maybe in the head, but not in the heart. Their past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. Boy, if that doesn't sound like Hollywood today. You ever heard that old saying, sex sells? Well, that's exactly what they're talking about here. This is exactly why the Temple of Diana was going the way it was going. Because there was money in it. You want to know why Hollywood makes the movies that they make today? Unfortunately, well, for two reasons nowadays. Because there's not as much money in it as it used to be, but there is an agenda behind it. There is an agenda behind it. Who, being past feeling, have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 tells us, and we won't get into that this morning, but next Sunday we want to pick back up there that the God of this world has blinded their minds lest they believe the glorious gospel. You don't think we're in a warfare? You don't think we're not in a struggle? You don't think there's a fight going on? You don't think there's a spiritual battle that's raging? Think again. And it's Satan is at work as the God of this world. He has blinded their minds lest they believe the glorious gospel. But then Paul goes on to say, but praise be to God who provides the light to shine where there's darkness. Aren't you glad in your life this morning that the light of Christ shined in your heart? Aren't you glad this morning that you heard the gospel and your response was, yes, Lord, I believe. I have never, ever in my life ever heard anyone say, man, I wished I hadn't trusted the Lord Jesus. I've never heard anybody say that. I've heard people say, 
they decided to reject him. As a matter of fact, I saw something this week that Don Hosfeld put on Facebook, I believe. And I liked it, and I wrote it down. It kind of follows right along with that, and, and we're going to close with this quote. I don't know if Don said it or if Don heard it from somebody else. But what he said was, does my life make non-believers question their disbelief in Christ or provide more reason to reject him? I don't know about you, but that's powerful. That's powerful. Does my life make non-believers question their disbelief in Christ or provide more reason to reject him? I hope this morning that as people see the life that you live, the presentation before them that you, as you present Christ and Him crucified and Him living in you, causes them to ask, where did you get such peace? Where did you get such calmness? Where did you get such joy? Where did you get such faith? And you can share that it all comes from a God who loves them through Christ Jesus, who is Lord of all. I pray and hope this morning that you have that peace, you have that joy, that you know Christ is your Savior, that you've done this morning what God's Word tells us we must do, and that is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, believe that He died for you, was buried for you, rose again, you believe the gospel. Preacher, you say that every Sunday. You bet you. You bet you. And guess what I'm going to keep saying every Sunday? The gospel. I'm going to keep telling you what you must do to be saved. Because that's what God's instructed us to do, to be ministers of the word of reconciliation. Let people know that Jesus saves that He desires to do His work in your life and cause you to walk in His way so that you can be a testimony, that you can be an instrument of praise. Amen? Isn't that what you want to be? You want to be an instrument of praise? I know I do. Let's pray. Father, we come before You this morning. And as we search the Scriptures... Father, we understand that there are so many imperatives that you've given us as believers. Father, we praise your name that we're not under the law, we're under grace. But Father, there are directions, there are things that you've told us that the church, the body of Christ, not necessarily has to do, but should do, ought to do, because that's what you want from us as we represent you. Father, may we be submissive to the direction and the guidance of the Holy Spirit as your word just becomes so important to our lives. Father, we thank you for that salvation we have in Christ. Father, we pray your blessings on this day. For those who can't be here today, we lift them up before you. Father, for those who are sick and have special prayer needs, Father, you know who they are. 
we lift them up before you. Father, we thank you for the work that you are doing in our lives. And we pray all these things in Christ's holy and most precious name. Amen.